something cool. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Leviticus. I know, right? Leviticus chapter 16. All right, we're going to start a new sermon series this morning. And I'm super pumped about this sermon series because it's something that it's abstract, it's obscure, but God has already begun to speak pretty heavy to me through it. And we're going to start a sermon series this morning called Coal Mining for Purpose. Coal Mining for Purpose. This series we are going to look at different places in the Bible where coal is mentioned and we're going to abstract our purpose from those passages of Scripture. Okay, so we're going to find out who we are, what we're supposed to do, who we're supposed to be as believers, looking through the passages of Scripture where the word coal is mentioned. Okay, and we're going to dig it out. We're going to dig out why we're here. We're going to dig out what we're here for. We're going to dig out why we are significant. We're going to dig out what God wants from us and who God is to us. Okay, and I can't wait to dive in because this is already challenged me and it has already shifted my mind and my mentality towards some things okay and I can't wait to share with you what I found but today we're going to talk about this specific thing coal and holding a value okay coal holds a value I don't know if you know that or not coal holds a value have you ever heard the statement before beauty is in the eye of the beholder you ever heard that before? And I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest. I was so afraid when Rafa was born, he was going to be ugly. Okay? And I was so scared that my baby was going to be ugly, and I had to be the guy who looked at it and said, that's a beautiful baby. You know? But thank God we had a beautiful child, and we didn't have to worry about it. But uh, I want it, it's almost the same way for Cole. Cole isn't valuable to someone unless the person looking at it understands and sees the value that's in it, right? To someone who doesn't know, it's not worth much. But coal does a lot of amazing things. It, 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 it provides for electricity generation. It provides for power generation. And that is the primary use for coal worldwide. It's also part of metal production. Metallurgical or coking coal is the, cre uh, the, the key ingredient in making steel. Did you all know that? I had no clue. Coal is one of the main ingredients for making steel. Cement production. Coal is used as a key energy source in cement production. It has a gasification and a liquefaction. There's a chemical production behind it. And all kinds of other industries are powered and sourced through coal. And in essence, if you're not careful, you could look over how valuable it really is if you aren't careful. If you aren't careful. Here's what I've discovered about coal in the Bible. Okay? If I'm not mistaken, and Pastor Joe could be wrong because I'm human and I often err, but I've not found anywhere else in Scripture up till this point where coal is mentioned. So this is the very first time that I've found in Scripture where coal is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 16. So let's read together, if you will. I'm going to be reading from the CSB version. We're going to have that version on the screen. And if you would like to read along, here's where we are. Verse number 3. Okay? Sweet. All right. Aaron is to enter the most holy place 
in this way. Time out. Now up to this point, there were priests that tried to enter into the holy place, the holy of holies. Now, I'm going to get real theological on you all today, so don't, don't let me lose you. Okay, but here's the thing. Up to this point, and previously before Aaron, there were two people who tried to go into the Holy of Holies their own way. Alright? Now there was a point in time in life where we weren't able to go into the presence of God as we wanted to. Alright? So here's the thing. Aaron, is. this is how someone is supposed to enter into the Holy of Holies. Okay? The most holy place. That's what we're going to talk about. Aaron is to enter the most holy place in this way. With a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Okay? He is to wear a holy linen tunic and linen undergarments are to be on his body and he is to tie a linen sash around him and wrap around his head a linen turban and these are holy garments. He must bathe his body with water before he wears them. He is to take from the Israelite community two male goats. Okay, for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present the bull to his, son, uh, to his sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. Next, he will take two goats and place them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent. If after Aaron casts lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for an inhabitable place. He is to present the goat chosen by lot for the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. Okay, I'm going to explain all of this because it can get a little heavy if we don't explain it. But the goat chosen by Lot for an uninhabitable uninhabitable place is to be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement with it by sending it into the wilderness for an uninhabitable place. When Aaron presents the bull for the sin offering and makes atonement for himself and his household, he will slaughter the bull for his sin offering. Then he is to take a fire pan full of blazing what? Coals. From the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and bring them inside of the curtain. Now inside of the curtain is the holy place, the holiest of places. Okay? Now, I know this is lengthy reading, but just hang out with me because it's going to be awesome. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord. So that the cloud of incense covers the mercy seat that is over the testimony, or else he will die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his fingers against the east side of the mercy seat, and then sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers on the mercy seat seven times. And when he slaughters the male goat for the people's sin offering and brings its blood inside the curtain, he will do the same with the blood as he did with the bull's blood. He will sprinkle it again on the mercy seat. And he will make atonement for the most holy place in this way for all the sins. Because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts, he will do the same for the tent meeting that remains among them because it's surrounded by their impurities. Let's pray. Lord, right now we just ask that you open our hearts. You open our minds. You lead us. You guide us. You direct us. You allow this to become a catalyst for deeper study of your word, Lord. That you allow this to become a launching place for greater things in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So something really cool, and I want to break it open to you, is that Jewish, uh, Jewish believers, they have something called the Torah. That's their scripture. We know that Torah to be the Old Testament. 
All right. Now, the Old Testament, right smack dab in the middle of their reading of Torah is Leviticus. Boom. Right in the middle. Okay. Right in the middle of Leviticus is chapter 16. Boom. Which talks about the Day of Atonement. All right. And so here's what I want to break open to you. Right in the middle of the Day of Atonement is what? Boom. Cold. All right. So we're going to talk about this. I'm excited. I don't know if you're excited, but I'm excited. Okay. So, before Christ's death, only one person could go into the presence of God one time a year. And that person was the priest. He was the only one allowed into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God one time a year. This was called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the priest was to sacrifice two goats. Okay? This is where it gets, for some of us who aren't, uh, who, who, if you were not a believer, I'm, I think most all of us in this room are believers, so you'll, you're kind of cool with this. But to non-believers, this is weird talk, right? It makes absolutely no sense. And for some believers, it makes absolutely no sense. We don't understand it. We don't get it. But here's what I want to do. I want to break it down for us in such a way this morning that we can't say, I don't understand. I get it. Okay? So here's the thing. Two goats were supposed to be sacrificed in order for someone to go into the presence of God. The first goat was to be killed and placed on the altar. And what this goat done, it was the cleansing for the priest's house and for the temple. It made the priest in a place to where he was able to go into. Now here's the thing. Everything in Leviticus 16 is talking about taking our unholiness, making it right before the Lord so we could get into the presence of God. That's what caused separation from God in the first place was sin. And this was the only thing that was able, at this time, a sacrifice was the only thing that could bring us back into right standing with God. And so here's the, what they would do. They would sacrifice this goat and it would make Aaron and his house and the temple a clean place. Alright? It would make it a clean place and he would be clean before the Lord. Alright? I am not so sure. That one still kind of weirds me out. But this next one is super cool, in my opinion. This next goat, here's what would happen. Aaron, the priest, or whoever the priest was at the time, would take this goat and he would lay his hands on the head of this goat and he would begin to confess the sins of Israel over this goat. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of sins, okay? There's a lot of sin that's being spoken to over this goat. And this goat would have all these sins symbolically transferred from the people of Israel onto the goat. And then they would outcast this goat into the wilderness. And it was symbolic for the removal of sin from the people of Israel to be cast away and never to be seen of again. And they would do this every single year. And this goat was called a specific goat. Okay, It was called a scapegoat. Have you all ever heard the term scapegoat before? Yeah. Did you know that this is where it originated from? This is where it originated from. It literally was a goat that took the blame for someone else. 
if you have a sibling, there's a good chance that either you were the scapegoat or you used them as the scapegoat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It kind of reminds me of a, of a movie. I was, I was racking my brain. I was like, come on, I need a good analogy of this, Lord. You know, what is a good analogy? And I'm a 90s kid. I grew up watching Disney. I still watch Disney. Me and my boy and, well, my boys, my 17-year-old and my 2-year-old, we watch Disney together. And so in the movie The Lion King, okay, Mufasa, Scar tricks Mufasa to go down into the ravine. And down into the ravine, the herd comes in and they trample Mufasa to death. He falls to his death, right? You all remember that part? Then he tells the pride that it was Simba's fault. Whenever it was in fact his fault. This is the great, a great analogy of a scapegoat. Here's what happened. Simba took the blame. He left the pride to never be seen of again. It's a literal scapegoat analogy. And we know, we know the story though. Simba comes back, he defeats Scar, he's king of the pride, whatever. But up to this point, he was Scar's scapegoat. If I could get them to believe that it was his fault, and I, he ran off. It was, it was Simba's fault and he left. The blame's on him. I'm in the clear, right? I love this. I love this. In chapter 16, I want you to hear this. Jesus, and I'm not going to be before you long, but Jesus is found so much in chapter 16. He's found in chapter 16, first of all, doing amazing works. First, we see him as goat number one who came and was sacrificed and gave us the ability to stand purely before the Lord. Goat number one, right? And we can now stand because of his sacrifice, because of his life giving, and because of that, we can now stand in the presence of the Lord and God doesn't see sin, He sees Jesus. Secondly, we see Him as goat number two. He took on our sin and He carried it far away from us. Never to be brought back again. Never to be mentioned again. And I don't know about you, but this one's hard for me. And the reason why is because whenever I do something or someone else does something wrong, I take tally marks. I take tally marks against myself. I take tally marks against them. And I want to hold it against myself. And I want to hold it against them. But Jesus, and this, and this is hard for me to fathom because He knew what I had, before I met Him, what I had done, what I was doing, what I was going to do. And He took it all and he carried it away. And whenever the accuser, and which Scripture tells us there is an accuser, and he goes before the Lord, and he says, do you remember what Joe done? And the Lord says, no. I don't. Do you see what he's doing right now? He says, no. I don't. <laughs> well, you know he's going to mess up in the future. He might. But I don't see it. Why? Because my son was the ultimate scapegoat for him. And he took the blame, and he took the guilt, and he took the shame, and he carried it away to where we're never going to have to be remembered by that or seen as that 
or will be seen as that. And I don't know about you, but that's great news this morning. That's great news this morning. So we see him as the sacrificial goat. We see him as the scapegoat. But thirdly, we see him as the priest. The priest would bring the offering before God. And when he brought the offering before God, it would bring the people of God into right standing. And God would be like, okay, I can have a relationship with them again. Until sin, what, arose, right? Do you understand that when Jesus <laughs> became goat number one and gave himself as a sacrifice and then became goat number two and took away our sins and carried it away and then became the priest, packaged all of it up, brought it before the Lord and said, here, this will make them in right standing again with you. This will make everything good again between you and between them. And it was such a good sacrifice and it was such a good gift that we don't have to stand any longer and allow someone else to give on our behalf. We could come before the Lord ourselves. We can enter into His presence ourselves. We can come into the Holy of Holies ourselves and we don't have to stand and wait for someone else to do it for us. Because Jesus was the goat, the scapegoat, and the priest. And He allowed us to become back in right standing with God. That's great, Pastor Joe, but what does this have to do with coal? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Here's the thing. This is, point, this is the very first thing that I feel like we have to understand when it comes to Christian life, when it comes to Christian living. We were created for this sole purpose. This one thing. And some of us is going to be like, wow, that's it? But really, this is it. You ready? We were created to be in relationship with God. That's it. That's all it was. That's all it has ever been. And that's all it ever will be. When Adam and Eve were created, the Bible says, let us make man in our image. And when they made man, they realized, oh, this is not good for him to be by himself. We're going to give him a woman, right? And so we, they created a woman. Here's what the Bible said that God done with them. He walked with them daily in the cool of the day. He created man and woman so he would have somebody to hang out with. Does that, as simple as that sounds, it almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? It almost sounds like I'm, I'm up here preaching a false doctrine, but in truth, that's all he ever wanted was to know them and for them to know him. And it was great until what? Sin came. It was great. Until sin showed up. And our focus and our purpose in life should be this. To know God and for Him to know us. We find purpose in life. You know, I've, I've had so many people, and you can see it all over the world right now. People long for purpose. They long for a sense of being. They long to know that there's a purpose for them. To be on this earth. And that purpose is plain and simple. It's to know God. And for God to know them. I love this next part. Because this is where we find out. The work of Christ. In making this come to pass. See. Here in the scripture. 
we can look back on this verse, and I want to find it. Just a couple of seconds. Verse 12. Then he is to set a fire pan full of what? Blazing coals from where? The altar. Before, to where? Before the Lord. So the coal goes from the altar, where? To before the Lord. Again, this is very significant. It goes from the altar before the Lord. There was a transition that happened with the piece of coal. It went from the altar to before the Lord. And who carried it from the altar into the presence of the Lord? The priest. The priest did. I don't know if you're picking up what I'm putting down here, but this is good stuff, okay? Our purpose was, our purpose is, and our purpose will always be to have a relationship with God. But the Day of Atonement, as previously stated, is what brought the people back into right standing with God. That was until Christ came, okay? And then once Christ came, that veil was separated. It was ripped in two. And then the average person could go into the presence of God. Here's what happened. The high priest, who is Christ, gave us access to what? Go into the presence of God. And this is symbolic in verse number 12. Because what he done is he took the coal, the thing that was found on the altar, lifted it off the altar, and placed it into the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you, but when God found us, majority of us was found where? On an altar. Taken from that altar, picked up where? Placed into the presence of the Lord. Back into right standing. The high priest was what made it available to us. The high priest was the one that said, you know what? I found them. I'm going to take them and I'm going to make this available to them. Just like in the passage, the priest, Jesus, carried us represented as coal, from a place of repentance and brought us into the presence of God. There was literally a moment when Christ became the bridge of where we were all uh, given access to the throne of God without having to go through Old Testament rituals. He became the scapegoat. He became the sacrifice. And He became the priest. And our purpose in life is community and relationship with God. Because of Christ, here's what I want you to hear, this has been reestablished. This has been reestablished. And it just blows my mind to think, who is the one that jeopardizes or, or always makes us feel like we don't have that relationship with Christ? It's the adversary. And he uses who majority of the time? Me. Us. He uses ourselves. Do you, do you realize that since that has been made available, there has been nothing that has undone that work? Do you realize that since He has become available to us, there is nothing that, that, has, that has happened to cause that to become undone? And here's what I... This is hard for us to grasp. And the reason it's hard for us to grasp is because when I mess up, I feel like God doesn't want me. I feel like God doesn't want... He, he hates me. He's out to get me. 
We picture him as the kid with the magnifying glass, right? With the little ants. Zap. But it, it blows my mind. And here's what made, this is what made Israel in right standing was the death of a sacrifice. And our sacrifice has already been made, so we're in right standing with the Lord. Do you understand that a lot of us, so whether we realize it or not, we, are, we feel like we have to work to be in right standing with God? We have to work to be in relationship with God? Do you know why we have a hard time having a relationship with God? Because we have a hard time having a relationship with each other. And if I fail you, or you fail me, do you know what we do a lot of times? We sever instead of mend. And because we sever instead of mend, we have a, a, a message in our mind that tells us that God severs. And He doesn't. He's already done the mending work. The mending work is still present. The mending work is still working. And we feel like we have to take on this responsibility to, to make ourselves right in the presence of the Lord. But it, we're already right in the presence of the Lord. And if we've come to Him and we've, and we've repented of our sins and we've turned from our sins and we said, You are our Lord. You are our Savior. We are right in the presence of the Lord. And there is absolutely nothing that can pluck us from this place and put us in this place. Not a height, not a depth, not an angel, not a demon, not a principality. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And I want you to know this morning that we all have purpose. Yeah, some of us are gifted in other things. And we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff in the next few weeks. Some of us are gifted in things. Some of us are artistic. Some of us are not. Some of us are able to build. Some of us are not. Some of us are able to do things that others aren't able to do. But that's not your purpose. That's a gifting. I used to think because I was gifted to play music that I was going to be a rock star. That's not my purpose. I had people tell me, you're going to be a famous worship leader one day. You're going to lead worship for thousands of people one day. And you know what? That might actually come to pass. But that does not mean I'm a worship leader. I'm a pastor. And I know that. But that's a gifting. And my gifting's not my identity. Come on, somebody. My working is not my identity. What I'm able to do is not my identity. What I'm able to offer is not my identity or my purpose. My purpose is to know God and for Him to know me. And if we get anything other than what I'm saying right now, then we've missed the point this morning. Quit thriving to try to make yourself right with the Lord and get to know Him. Quit striving to try to live such a holy life and get to know the Lord. Because when you know Him, you become Him. You become like Him. And I feel like we're working in the wrong areas. I know, I know for years, it took me such a long time to realize this. But for years, I would beat myself up because I failed. And I messed up. And I would be like, Lord, you know, I'm unworthy. And He's like, you never were worthy. How, how awesome is that? To know that, God, I'm not worthy to do that. I've, have y'all ever said that before? 
God, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm not worthy to stand behind the pulpit. I'm not worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to do that. And the most reassuring thing God ever told me was, you were never worthy. But I gave you a scapegoat. Come on, that's good stuff. And I let the priest place you back into the presence of the Lord. Come on. Isn't that good? Here's what I want you to know. Where did we say that value comes from? Value comes from the eye of the beholder. Value, you know, whenever we value something, there's things in my house that I value that you wouldn't. You would throw it out. There was, there was things during the transition of this, of this leadership role here at this church and in the, the middle of the renovations and stuff that I had to be super careful with because they held value to someone else but I didn't understand it. And so here's the thing. If value is in the eye of the beholder, others won't value you the way that God values you. Why not? Because they don't know the things that God knows about you. <laughs> Man, I, I'm about to preach myself in a frenzy right here, but the truth is, is that they don't know what you've been through. They don't know what you're capable of. They don't know what you overcame to get to where you are. They don't know what your giftings are. They don't know what kind of prayer life you have. They don't know what your study life looks like. They don't know the sacrifice you make. And because they don't know, they don't value you. But when God sees you, He sees that prayer life. He sees that communication that you have with Him. He knows what He put inside of you. He knows how He gifted you. He knows how He wants to use you. He knows what you're capable of. He knows how good He can work through you. And because of that, His value for you is a lot higher than people's. Do you know what? There's times I have to encourage myself and I have to tell myself God values me because if I let my eyes tell me... Here's the thing. The eye, my eyes can tell me facts, right? And what I mean by that is this. When I look around sometimes and I see empty seats, I see empty seats. They're empty. That's facts. But the truth is, is that God wants to do a work here. Right? There's times that I see facts in my life that my bank account isn't what it needs to be. That's a fact. You can look at the numbers and see it. But truth says the truth says that God takes care of me. You know, and there's times that I have to learn how to look at the truth and know what God says about me and what He thinks about me and quit letting the enemy tell me what I think I know and allow God to tell me who I really am. You might be thinking, Pastor Joe, I'm nothing special. I ain't nothing special. <laughs> wrong. If you don't think you're special, you're wrong. Hear me this morning. I'm going to say it again. Somebody, whether they're online or whether they're in this room, you need to hear this. If you don't think you're special, then you're wrong. You can't prove it, Pastor Joe. I can't prove it. Here's how. God thought, thought so much of you that He took the steps that were necessary to make this disgruntled relationship between you and Him right. 
He took the steps that were necessary to bridge the gap, to bridge the chasm that was between you and him, and put you back in right standing. The main reason we're here is to have a relationship with him. Now, with that being said, my, my question is, are you cashing in that check? Or are we expecting there to be more? See, we do that. We do that in life. We expect it can't be that simple. Y'all ever done that before? I've put stuff together before and it was just like click, and I'm like, there's no way it was that simple. <laughs> yes, I've missed a step somewhere. Something's out of whack. Something's going on. I don't know what the deal is, but there's no way it's that simple. And then we begin to overcomplicate it. Then we begin to overthink it. Then we begin to destroy because we're trying to do it our way instead of letting God do it His way. And I want to tell you this morning that it really is that simple. If you want to live a good godly life, be in purpose with Him. Be in relationship with Him. If you want to have a, a joy, if you want to have joy, be in relationship with Him. Peace, be in relationship with Him. It really all hinges on that one thing. It really all hinges on that one thing. And I hope you hear me this morning when I say this, is that when God finds us and He places us back into the presence of the Lord, then that one step, there's nothing that can undo it. It has yet to be undone and it will yet to be undone. He gave us access. There's not a new veil in the temple. There's not a new veil in the temple. There's nothing separating us from the ability to walk into the throne room of God and say, here I am. All of me. All of me. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Man, I thank you for your presence. You're so sweet in the room this morning, God. We ask you, Lord, right now to let this just saturate our hearts. Let this just marinate in our hearts all week long, God, to let us know that there's nothing, Lord, that we can do to make you love us more than what you already do. There's nothing, God, that, that we have to do to come into right standing except say, priest, take me there. <laughs> Lord, there's nothing we have to do except say, Jesus, I want that relationship with you. And then it ta He takes us right there. He finds us at an altar of repentance and He places us into the presence of God. Lord, we thank You for that. We give You honor this morning. We give you glory this morning. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. That you just come and you empower us with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.